and uh, uh, schools are closed and, I mean, cats are playing with dogs and it's just pandemonium. But uh, you're still here and I'm glad you're here. How many of you do not have a handout? You're probably not missing much, but we printed them, so take one. And uh, man, this is a great crowd, for real, for this, for everything that's going on and uh, like I said, the weather and school closings and the preacher out of town and... Uh, once again, if you're here tonight, it's because you really love Jesus. And I'm, I'm glad you're here, and I appreciate you being here. Take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Go ahead and have a seat. We're going to uh, have a little introduction here before we, before we get going and read our text and have prayer, but we'll, we'll get there. Um, very good. Good to see everybody tonight. i got a good shot of my, my favorite nieces here. Man, I'm glad she's here. Her dad pastors a church up the road in the next town over, but he's out of town too, so she got to come hear her uncle preach tonight. So, man, I'm glad she's here. Philippians chapter 2 in your Bibles. You know, you've heard the saying, or you've heard people say, what's in will come out. If I take, and I stole this from, from the coach at West Point that helps with a message from the mound, this illustration. He, he, he was teaching... Or, or, or giving a devotion at the message from the mound, and I was there listening. And he talked about how if I took this bottle of water, I took the cap off, and I slung it around all over the place, guess what would come out? Water. Because that's what's on the inside. Whatever's in here is what's going to come out. The Bible talks about that as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, you see that little box there. It says that a thought leads to action. An action repeated over time becomes a habit. And a habit will in turn determine our character, character which will forge our destiny and make us who we are. All of this started with a thought. You see how important the thought process can be? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You know, I've, I've asked people before on Friday nights at Life Recovery, when you lay down in your bed at night and the lights go out, what is it that you think about? What about when you're riding? I spend a lot of time riding in my truck, going to different jobs and doing estimates and things like that. So uh, I, I ride in my vehicle a lot by myself. Sometimes I listen to the radio, but it seems like more times than not, I don't, I don't even have the radio on. And, and I'm just alone in my vehicle with my thoughts. What do you think about what do you think about when you're riding in your vehicle, when you lay down at night, nobody else is around? What's, what's banging around in your dome? What is it that you think about? Because the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Well, when we follow this process here, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, now let's stop there for just a second. I always like to stop any time I get the opportunity to talk about a little bit of doctrine because I enjoy that. Whom he did foreknow. Now, contrary to the teachings of our reformer brethren whom I love and respect, I just happen to disagree with them. I do not believe that God set aside a certain group of people to go to hell and a certain group of people to go to heaven. Uh, I, I disagree with the Calvinist in the uh, belief that God only died for a select group of people. I believe that everybody has the opportunity to exercise his free will and put his trust in the work that Christ did on Calvary and receive salvation. Unfortunately, everybody will not do that. 
And what this passage here says is whom he did foreknow. What that means is that he didn't dictate certain people would go to heaven and certain people would go to hell, but he certainly knew who would exercise their free will. In his foreknowledge, God knows who's going to choose him and who's going to reject him. So based upon that, the verse goes on to say, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. That means he predetermined. He had a plan, and he had something specific for you. He had a purpose for you as soon as he knew that you would choose him. And I think that we make this too spooky, and I think we make this too difficult at times, and we want to try to get too technical about this. But it really bottoms out when you really sum it down to the most common denominator, we as Christians are to be conformed to the image of His Son. So it doesn't matter who you are or what your occupation happens to be, whether you're a a lady or a gentleman or a child or a teenager or wherever you're at in your point in life, a senior, your purpose in life, your mission as a Christian, as a person has exercised their free will and put their trust in Christ, you have one goal in life, and that is to be like Jesus. Because whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate. He predetermined that your mission in life was to be like Jesus. So, if we are to be like Jesus, I want to know what he was thinking about. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That brings us to Philippians chapter 2. And it tells us exactly what Jesus was thinking about. Philippians chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 1. It says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any bowls of mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. The mind of Christ. What is it that Jesus, what was his mind? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, I thank you always for the opportunity to speak. I pray that it be an encouragement to someone tonight. Lord, we ask you to bless our preacher as uh, he speaks in his place in Georgia. I pray that you'd fill him with the Holy Spirit. Give him unction tonight, Lord, and I pray that he would be a blessing to to that congregation there. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let this mind, I want to start, we want to just take a few moments tonight, just a little bit of time, and expound on this passage. I want to start right there with that first phrase. Let this mind. We start with the word mind. Now we're going to go to the 1828 dictionary, obviously, to define that, but it's really pretty simple. Have you ever heard an old-timer say, you know what, I've got a mind to go to town. What, what does he mean by that? He's, he means that his intentions are, or his plans are, or what he's thinking about doing is going to town. And that's kind of what this means here. It defines that word mind as intention, purpose, design, opinion. 
Now, when we look at the word this, the word this is a contextual word, and it requires us to refer back to the previous passages. And you see there in verse 3, verse 3 it says, Let each esteem other better than themselves. Verse 4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So we conclude, or we arrive at the conclusion that the intention or the design, the purpose and opinion of Christ was to look not on the, his own things, but to esteem others better than himself. Now I ask you to, tonight, what was it that he did to accomplish this? What did Jesus do to promote others above himself? What did Jesus do to esteem others more important than him? Well, the first thing that we notice here We see the phrase being in the form of God goes on to say that he was equal with God and then it says that he was made in the likeness of men. The first thing that we see there is the sacrifice of prerogative. The sacrifice of prerogative. So what was it exactly that Jesus gave up? Well, the word prerogative, if you look that word up in the dictionary, it means an exclusive right or a privilege. Now, we think about the rights or the privileges, the things that that belong to Jesus that he was willing to give up in order to become a man. The first thing I see there is his glory. John chapter 17, verse 5 says, And thou, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. The first thing that I I see that Jesus was willing to sacrifice and give up was the glory that he shared with God. You see, Jesus is in a position in heaven as an earthly being. The Bible talks about him returning uh, to the right hand of the Father. He's there with God. And he shares glory with the Father. He, the Bible talks about how that, 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 that God loved him before the foundation of the world. You see, some people are of the misconception that Jesus began when he was born in Bethlehem. And that's not true. Jesus always was. He said before the Abraham, I am. That's a, a phrase of eternality there or eternity. There never was a beginning to Jesus, and there'll never be an end to Jesus. And Jesus shared in the glory of God the Father. He gave that up. There came a point in the annals of time and in history that he was willing to put on a fleshly robe and step down from that position and come to earth. Is there anything that is more sacrificial than that? You think about where Jesus was at and what he had and what he possessed and what he, what he enjoyed on a daily basis in the glory that he shared with God. He gave all of that up. He's willing to sacrifice every bit of that. Not only did he sacrifice his glory, but we see in those verses in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever goes on down to verse 10 in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, 
and the heavens are the works of thine hands. We see there where Jesus participated in creation. How that Jesus was there all the way back in the beginning. How that Jesus had a throne and a position there with God the Father. And he gave all of this up to come to earth. That is a sacrifice. He sacrificed his rights and his position and his glory and everything that he had. He sacrificed this to come to earth. Now, now think, think about this. I, I don't think I possess the verbal skills or the uh, uh, ability to paint a, a, a visual picture of this, but try, if you can, to think about whatever you picture heaven to be like, whatever you can see as the throne that Jesus sets upon and the day arriving that he has to stand up and step down off of that and come to earth to be born of a virgin in a dirty barn, and laid in a feed trough. Can you wrap your mind around that tonight? And think about the sacrifice that Jesus made. It's quite a thing, isn't it? The mind of Christ. What was it that Jesus did? What is it that He gave up? He gave up glory. He gave up heaven. He gave up his position. He relinquished all of these things and came to earth. Not only do I see a sacrifice there of prerogative, but I also see, number two, I see a submission to persecution. The verses there in the, in the passage say that he made of himself no reputation. Now that word reputation there has a specific meaning here, and if you... Look at the word reputation throughout the King James Bible. You see that it's not just ambiguous. It can't mean good. It means to be held in high regard. And Jesus made of himself no reputation. He didn't come to earth as a king. He didn't come to earth as the son of God. He was born in a manger. He was born in a stable and laid in a manger. He, he was the... the completely submitted himself to the restrictions of earth. Now think about what he gave up. He gives up heaven. He gives up glory. He gives up everything there. And he comes to earth and submits himself to, first of all, the limitations of humanity. He goes from being the omnipotent, omniscient God... And I don't think he, obviously you can read in the scripture, he didn't give up his power, he didn't give up his all-knowing, but when he became a man, there were certain limitations that were placed upon him that he was willing to take on. Those limitations were very simply this. They're, they're, I listed some of them there. He, he's, he became hungry. Jesus had never been hungry before. The Bible talks about in Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, that he hungered after his fast of 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus had never experienced hunger prior to that. John 4, 6 is really an encouraging verse to me, and it seems kind of silly. But what it says there, when he met the uh, Samaritan woman at the well, he says that, it says that he was wearied in his journey. Let me ask you something tonight. How many of you have ever been weary in your journey? How many of you have just ever been just tired? Jesus had never experienced these human limitations prior to coming to earth. He subjected himself to those things. Not only that, what about, you know one of the greatest verses in the Bible is John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus 
wept. We were in prayer meeting, staff prayer meeting this morning, and uh, um, I, I think it was uh, Josh, maybe, that shared a story about a, a family whose uh, ch- second-grade child is sick, and they're not thinking that this, this child's going to make it. And, and, and when I heard that, I, I don't think I heard another thing that was said in the prayer meeting, and my entire disposition changed, and my mood for the day just kind of changed. I was taken back to a time when my oldest daughter was sick and almost died, and all I could think about was the feelings that I had at that moment and how that that family is going through that thing, and they may not be as fortunate as we were, and this child may not make it, and all I could think about is how what a terrible thing that is. When Jesus came up and Mary and Martha were upset and distraught about the death of Lazarus, the Bible says that Jesus wept. Prior to coming to heaven, Jesus had never been sad before. He'd never been hungry. He'd never been tired. He'd never been sad before. He was sitting at the right hand of the Father. What did he have to be sad about? We see in Matthew 21, 12, how that he drove them from the temple in a fury. I'm certain that Jesus was frustrated about the situation there. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. And I'm certain, I know that Jesus was angry and sin not because he never sinned. He experienced temptation. Luke chapter 4, verse 2, we see how that the devil came to Jesus and he tempted him in all ways. He tempted him through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He's experienced this same temptation that we face. You know, and one of the things, and I, I wasn't sure how to put this because Buchanan and I had this conversation earlier today and Brother Kendrick and I had the conversation Monday, I think it was. We talked about how that, that God... Jesus can't be disappointed, okay? Because disappointment means that I had an expectation of one thing and, and it didn't turn out like I thought it was going to and nothing's ever occurred to God and nothing's ever caught him off guard and he's never been disappointed by your actions because he knew you were going to do it before you did it. But I have to believe that Jesus felt some type of human emotion when he stood before the Sanhedrin on trial And he heard that cock crow the third time and he looked out and made eye contact with Peter as he denied him the third time and went off into the night and wept bitterly. And Jesus is left there by himself on trial. Everybody's left him. Not only that, but what about the abandonment that is listed here in Mark chapter 15, 34, when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? These are things that Jesus didn't have to experience before. But he submitted to the persecution. He subjected himself to humanity. Not only that, but the humiliation of death. Not only the limitation of humanity, but also the the humiliation of death. It wasn't just any death. The passage says he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The, the The death by crucifixion was uh, uh, thought up, for better, uh, for lack of a better use of, of word. It was thought up by the, by the Persians, and it was specifically for uh, runaway slaves that they couldn't do anything with. And they would make a public spectacle of them and crucify them so that it would teach a lesson to the others. The Romans took this on, and it was specifically held for the most vile crimes. It was the worst death that you could possibly imagine. If there is a humane way to die, I would think that our society and capital punishment has found that with just the uh, basic uh, uh, lethal injection. A person goes to sleep and they die, and 
That's the end of the story. It was far from that with Jesus. It was a humiliating death. I mean, to be stripped in front of the entire city of Jerusalem and beat like an animal and nailed to a cross, the humiliating death of crawling up that hill of Golgotha like an animal while people spit and beat you and mocked you. This humiliation that Jesus was willing to subject himself to. I've often wondered what in the world would cause him to do that. I think it's very simple. He placed our needs and he esteemed us better than himself. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. You know, whenever you reach a point in your life that you feel as though no one understands the difficulties you face and the struggles that you endure, keep in mind that Jesus faced all the issues of life that we deal with on a daily basis. The very next verse tells us that we can come directly to Him for help in our time of need. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Listen to me tonight. The reason that Jesus was willing to submit to these type of persecutions was simply so that he would understand what you and I went through. When we go to Jesus with our problems, with our trials, with our difficulties, with the failures of our life, he's faced these very things. He understands. That word infirmity means weakness. He's faced all of the weaknesses and the difficulties and the hard times that we face, and he understands those. Now, he didn't sin. He didn't fall to temptation, but he was tempted, and he does get it. I'm glad that the verse in Psalms 103 says that he knows our frame. He understands who we are and what we are because he created us. Not only did he create us, but he came to earth and he subjected himself. He submitted to these persecutions that he faced on the earth. What are we talking about tonight? The mind of Christ. What was Jesus thinking about? What was going through his head? What did he have a mind to do? What was important to him? What was his opinion? Well, I can tell you this. It was to esteem others better than himself. It was to place others in front of him. The next thing we look at, we see in the, in the text... And being found in fashion, or I'm sorry, in verse 7 it says, But made himself no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. How did Jesus serve tonight? Well, he was a, well, he was a servant of people, number three. The third way we see the mind of Christ was that he was a servant of people. First of all, he was a servant in rank. Matthew chapter 8 verse 20 says, and Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Think about that now. We spent a good bit of time earlier talking about the glory of God and everything that he had in heaven and the things that he gave up. And not only did he give up all of these things in heaven, and I mean, I, I wish I could paint a better visual for you about what heaven must have been like. But he gave all of that up. And when he came to earth, he didn't have a nice home. 
He was homeless. He didn't have any place to live. Foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay his head. He had no home. And I really think that's pretty easy to explain. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So Jesus was more focused on the things that you couldn't see. Because the things that you can't see, the things that you can't physically touch and feel, those are issues of faith, and those are the things that Jesus was concerned with. He wasn't worried about a big fancy house and a nice car and expensive clothes and whatever it is that we get excited about. Really good coon dog, nice bass boat, fancy dragster, whatever it is we like. Jesus wasn't concerned with these things. Jesus was concerned with issues of faith, matters of eternity. And in so doing, he was willing to become a servant in rank, to be the lowest of the low. Not only was he a servant in rank, but he was a servant in role. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6 says, but he, was a, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. Now the role of a servant is to work, to bear, to carry. That's exactly what Jesus did. He took upon that role of a servant, and he bare our sins, and he took on the burden of our sin debt, and he carried it to the cross and paid our sin debt for us so that all we have to do to have our sin debt paid is to put our trust in that work that Christ did on Calvary. I had a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. We were talking about different views and ideas and philosophies of people and you, you've really, it boils down to two things. There is the group of people that believes that there's something that I've got to do in order to merit my entrance into heaven. I've got to keep a set of rules. I've got to make sure that in the end my good outweighs my bad. But the Bible tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith. Faith in what? Faith in that work that Christ did on Calvary. Faith in that work that he did when he bare our sins and died in our place. And you're faced with the proposition or the decision as to accept what he did for you on Calvary or reject it. Now, undoubtedly, in a crowd this size, I promise you, you may all profess, we may all raise our hand if we had a, an invitation, that I've put my trust in Christ, I've been saved. But I promise you, there's somebody in here that you've never come to that point where you decided that I, in and of myself, and no help to myself. And the only way that I can be reconciled or joined back to God is to put my trust in the work that He did on Calvary, that propitiatory work that He did for me, that work that He did where in my place He died and paid my sin debt for me. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He took the role of a servant and He died in your place. He did your work so that you wouldn't have to. So you ask tonight, what is Jesus thinking? Well, 
That's what Jesus thinks. And any time we look at a passage and we expound on it like we have this one and we try to uh, make some observations about some scripture, and we've seen here that Jesus, he, uh, he, was, uh, he was a servant. Without question, Jesus was a servant. Not only was he a servant, but our, our, our lesson tells us tonight that he sacrificed his rights, the things that he had. He was, had a rightful position on the throne with, with God. He was willing to give that up, to sacrifice that. Not only did he sacrifice his position, but he, submit, he submitted to persecution. So how does that, all of this observation we make about Scripture, now how does it apply to us? Well, it's pretty simple. You just ask yourself this question. The verse says, chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind being you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind being you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So answer this question tonight. What is it that you're willing to give up? What is it that you're willing to give up? I promise you, we're going to end quick because that tends to make me nervous too. We don't have much. We won't make it the whole time. Brother Kendrick will be mad at me, but I can't help it. This tent flapping around, you're, you're, you're not hearing me anyway. But listen to me for about five more minutes. And let me ask you a couple questions. First of all, what will you give up? When it comes right down to it, are you willing to give up your preconceived ideas of how something is supposed to be? That's not how Grandpa did it. Well, a couple things. One, Grandpa ain't here. Uh, two, Grandpa might have been wrong. You know? Can I say that? I'm not the pastor, I know, but I might get in trouble for that. But What are you willing to give up? Are you willing to give up your preconceived ideas? Are you willing to give up that secret sin you got hidden back that you keep to yourself that nobody else knows about? Only you know what that is. Are you willing to sacrifice that? Are you willing to sacrifice your plan for his plan? Because, see, the plan that we're supposed to be doing is conforming ourselves to his image. Are you willing to give up what it is that you think? You see, the thing about it is, the, the Bible tells us in James that life is like a vapor that appears for a little time, then it vanishes away. What is your life? What is it that you've wrapped your whole life around? Maybe it's some theory that you've concocted that I'm going to do this by this certain time and then I'm going to buy this house and we're going to fix it up and sell it and make this much money. We're going to buy that piece of property. I know this because these are the same things I think about. I'm going to buy this car. We're going to pay it off and I'm going to make payments to myself for this many years and then I can buy. I know the Dave Ramsey thing. We got all these plans and all these ideas and things that we want to do. But what if Jesus wants you to give all of that up and go to Tanzania and be a missionary to the Africans. I mean, I don't know that that's what he wants to do, but there's a good chance he could. Would you be willing to do that? You see, missionary, I think back to missionaries in the old days. Adoniram Judson crawls on a ship with his family and bids his family farewell and doesn't think he has any chance of ever seeing them again. He doesn't come home on furlough every two years and kick it for a year back in the States. But he got on that ship and sailed to the shores of Burma. It was never to come back again. What are you willing to sacrifice tonight? Jesus gave up all of heaven. What will you give up? Not only do we look at the 
subjugation, or the uh, uh, sacrifice of prerogatives, but we look at the submission of persecution. What are you willing to submit yourself to? Jesus submitted himself to the confines of humanity. Can you imagine what that would have been like? What if all of a sudden, this is the closest thing I could think of in illustration, what if all of a sudden you've been walking your dog and now all of a sudden the leash is on you and he's walking you? I'm not going for that. I'm just telling you. That's not going to happen. But that's, in a sense, what Jesus was willing to do. The Creator became subject to the creation. He allowed Himself. He laid His hands down and allowed the very one that He created to put a nail through His hand, willing to die for that person who was nailing Him to that cross. That's what He was willing to submit to. What will you submit to? You may not be able to get as nice a pair of shoes as you wanted to because you need to give a little bit more money to missions. Somebody say amen. Somebody's got a missions and outreach shirt on over here too. I want to say thank you. Uh, just look. yeah, thank you very much. Maybe, maybe you can't buy that new boat because God wants you to give the down payment you were going to use on that boat to the missions or to the building program. What are you willing to sacrifice? What will you give up? What earthly thing that you can see, that you can feel, that you can touch, are you willing to give up so that you can promote something that you can't feel or touch or see? What temporal thing will you sacrifice so that eternity can be promoted for the grace and the glory of God? What would you give up? God gave up all of heaven. He subjected himself to earth and he submitted himself to the persecution on the cross. What will you submit to tonight? Some of you need to be willing to submit to some, some persecution from friends or family members because that's just not how we've always done it. Now listen, I can, I can stop and put a tent up right here, and I hope nobody watches this, watches this video, but I can stop and put a tent up here about persecution of joining a church and being a part of something that's a little different than what tradition has always been. Okay? I, I'm driving that train, Okay? So I can say something about this. If this is where God wants you, and this is where you've been led by the Lord, you may have to submit to some persecution to be in the will of God. Are you okay with that? Not only that, not only submission to persecution, but where are you willing to serve? What is it that you're willing to do to put yourself in a position so that God can use you. Do you have a servant's heart tonight? You see, this is all about putting others above you. Placing other people's rights and privileges and their priorities above yours and placing yourself below them. You see, humility is not self-loathing. Humility is not to hate oneself. Humility is to place others above you. Now that goes against everything that humanistic philosophy teaches us. Man, I, and I hate to say this, but, but ladies, that really grinds your gears because you're taught in today's society more than anything else to be self-assertive. I've got two girls, and I want them to be successful, and I want things to go well for them. My oldest girl is a very successful nurse and a, and a, a neonatal intensive care unit, and she's pretty assertive, a little bit too assertive. She's like her mother sometimes. 
I'm an A-top personality. I was a sales manager at a car dealership for years. I mean, it came up today and I bristled and bowed up on them in staff meeting about somebody saying something in my... I mean, it all came back that fast. We were talking about the car business. and So I understand that stuff. But you know what? Servants don't get to do that. They don't get to bow. Servants don't have a priority. Servants don't have a, 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 an agenda. They do what they're told. And that's what Jesus did. Exactly what he was told to do by the Heavenly Father. And that was to go and die on a cross to pay our sin debt. He said, not my will, but thy will. Are you willing to be a servant tonight? Now, all of that said, here's the conclusion. If you go on and read in chapter 2 there in Philippians, verses 8 through 10 says, Wherefore God also. The wherefore there means anytime you see a wherefore, you've got to read, you've got to see what the wherefore is there for. And it's, a, it's a word that means go back before and read what it said before. So all the things that we talked about, about Jesus uh, being a servant, and Jesus being submissive, and Jesus be, get, all the things that Jesus did that we've talked about for the last 40 minutes, it's concluded right here. It says, because of all of that, God also had highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, listen to this, to the glory of God the Father. Now you see, Jesus went through all of these terrible things that we talked about. All of these things that he was willing to do. To become a servant, to go through this persecution, to sacrifice all of heaven. He went through those things, and in the end, God says, you will be exalted, and every tongue will confess, and every knee will bow, and all of these things will take place for one reason, so that God can be glorified. So, we look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Let me ask you this tonight. I understand looking out for yourself. I understand self-promotion. Believe me. I understand those things. I get them. I battle those things. I, I, I deal with those issues myself. But what would you rather? Would you prefer to promote yourself or would you prefer that God exalt you? Because I'm going to tell you, I can't do what God can do. I can go back three years from right now and where I was in my life and had I've tried to accomplish on my own and through my own power what God has done in my life in the last three years, there is no way it would have ever happened. Not a chance. But God has exalted me. Not me, because I couldn't have done this. I couldn't be where I am if God hadn't have done it. Let me ask you something tonight. Would you rather promote yourself or would you rather have God exalt you? Because that's what this is all about. This is about having the mind of Christ. How did Jesus think? What was he a mind to do? What was important to Jesus? What was his, his, his agenda? His agenda was to submit. His agenda was to be a servant. His agenda was to sacrifice. 
Are you willing to be like Jesus tonight? Because if you do those things, if you're willing to submit, if you're willing to be a servant, if you're willing to sacrifice, I promise you on the Scripture, I promise you on the words of God that He will exalt you in ways you could never exalt yourself. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for the great example. And Lord, we ask you tonight in our human frailty to help us to understand how that we can humble ourselves and be exalted at the same time. That's so contrary to what we've been taught and what we can understand in our human finite minds. But we ask you tonight, Lord, to give us the wisdom and the understanding and the patience to trust you and to have faith in your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to do the things that are contrary to our preconceived ideas, but are scriptural in principle. Lord, we love you tonight and we thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Dismiss us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.